you're listening to Infertility Bites. This is a catharsis podcast. Infertility bites, but it bites a bit less when you're not alone. My name is Casey, and I'm blessed to be joined by my co-captain in this journey, my lovely wife, Sarah. Hello. On this series, we're going to talk about our experiences dealing with infertility. It's important to note that we are not doctors or even experts. We're just people who understand how difficult it can be. Each person's journey is unique, like a fingerprint, so it's best to leave the medicine to the professionals. We took a few weeks off for the holidays, so this is our first episode back, as well as the first episode of the new year. We hope everyone had a great holiday and a happy New Year's Eve. Um, we're grateful to each and every one of our listeners. Without you, there would yes. be no podcast, so thank you. Last time, we dug a bit into our cause, one of our causes of infertility, which is my wife's PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. This time, however, we're going to switch things up a bit and we're going to actually do the story time first because it actually leads us into the topic we want to discuss later. So the story time is uh, from, uh, I'm going to pronounce it Luciana, um, but she might pronounce it differently, uh, from not too far from here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, She said she's been trying to conceive for about a year. Um, The military, and she put quotes around it, suggested hysterectomy to keep her flying job. So setting up through the VA and doing IVF all year to try to get her chance before she has to have the hysterectomy. There have been so many setbacks, she said. She's on her third round of, of all of the drugs and stuff with her first retrieval coming up. At the time she submitted this week, um, however, she submitted this a while, a couple weeks ago, so a week or two ago, so um, so here's hoping that her retrieval went well. Um, she says that everything makes you feel so alone except for her husband. So, husbands. Uh, yep, you guys have represent. a big job. We have a very big job, even though a lot of it's just holding hands. Uh, That's important. But it's very important. Uh, her husband has been the most supportive of her. Everyone that they've shared with is supportive, but they just don't understand because they've never gone through it, she said. Um, like I said, their first retrieval was scheduled for the week that they were uh, submitting this. So, like, again, uh, I'm hoping everything was successful and everything went great. But she says her advice to everyone is to set realistic realistic expectations and just keep going. And I can't agree with that more you do have to understand that every step in this is a gamble a gamble and and yeah you're you're going to come up short sometimes and if you've got a good doctor they're explaining it that mm-hmm. you know there's a big chance it won't succeed i mean i'm just saying the doctor should be telling you this also mm-hmm. like that i mean there was never a chance in our doctor that I didn't understand that this was, there was a good chunk of chance that this couldn't, this would not work the first time. Um, she said that, you know, I, I always give people a chance on this to shout out anything that they're doing to help them along the journey, whether they've got an Etsy store or um, a GoFundMe or something like that. And she says she doesn't have one, but she, she's going to think about setting up a GoFundMe because money is tight. And, and I agree, you know, 
we've talked before about our GoFundMe. It didn't really help a huge amount financially, but it was it was a chunk of change, and we're very appreciative of everyone who... Well, considering insurance doesn't cover anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- at the time, ours yeah. didn't. Most insurances in America don't. So, Some do. But we Some went states to, mandate it. But. So we went to the doctor. It was 400 visits a pop just in the testing area, and you know... So yeah, um, I mean anything helps. So so Luciana, if you're listening and and still thinking about setting up a GoFundMe, we we recommend it for us. Really, part of the benefit of the GoFundMe was to take the weight the weight of it off of us. Exactly, it was no longer something we were struggling alone. It was a very public thing, which gets into the question I said. I always have on this form anything else you want to add. And her question, the questioners that the listeners can help answer, is what can we do to normalize IVF and infertility? And that's really what I want to talk about on this episode a bit, is normalizing this. Uh, I think I think that's really the goal of this podcast in the long run. Yes, it, I talk about it being a catharsis where it's about us telling our story and getting that out into the open. Um, but in reality, so much of this is about normalizing this because that's where we run into most of the problems. Um, the fact that we spent so many years of our marriage early on hiding our struggles from everyone around us, not just our parents, but our friends, you know, yeah. our coworkers, not, nobody knew the struggle we were going through. And that's because, as a culture, it's so taboo to talk about it. So what can we do to normalize talking about infertility, talking about IVF? And and the biggest thing, in my opinion, is just doing it. You know, there there was a time not too long ago... And, and I mean really not very long ago, that women uh, would never talk about feminine hygiene products, right? They wouldn't mention the word tampon or pads. You know, they always would, would kind of skirt around it and, and kind of whisper to their friends, hey, do you have one? And, and we normalized it. And we're in, still in the process of normalizing talking about it. It's not complete. But it's to the point now where, you know, you'll see ads for it on TV and they're no longer hiding what it's referring to. You know, it's no longer using the weird blue fluid to to symbolize your menstrual flow. Um, it's just, you know, saying this is what it's about. And I think that's a lot of what it comes down to is just talking about it is important. I got to be honest, I remember my brother, when I was, we were quite young. I mean, I probably was, I don't, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know if I had had my, my period yet. And my sister, uh, uh, not my sister, my brother, we were sitting there and watching and a commercial came on for tampon or pad, mm-hmm. I don't know. And he was like, oh, gross. And I'm like, Josh, you know, that affects, you know, that affects like more than half the population. And sometimes... They don't have the access to things at home, so they need to see it through a TV. I mean, no offense. I'm just saying it can be so embarrassing that seeing the ad can be helpful. So you can't get grossed out by that. I mean, first off, it doesn't even affect you. So 
But that was just a fun story. I remember that very early on in my life going, why does that bother you? And and I'll tell this story to to kind of go along with this. Uh, when I was young, which we've covered before, I'm a fair bit older than my wife, about eight years. Um, and so, you know, when I was young, and I'm probably talking six or seven, I saw an advertisement. And again, they use like the blue fluid, you know, to symbolize and all of this stuff. And I, I had a conversation with my mom that was along the lines, because it was for pads. It was along the lines of, why do girls just get to wet their pants? And my mom had to look at me and be like, you you know that's not for peeing their pants, right? I was like, what do you mean? And my mom actually had to talk about it. And about that's the time that she got me the book Changing Body, Changing Lives that's all about puberty and all of that. And I learned a whole lot in that uh, <laughs> time frame. But, but so that's the deal is, is they've always skirted around what it's about. And now they're not doing that quite as much. They say right in the ads, you know, you might have a heavy flow. You might have a, a lighter flow. Uh, there's, there's an ad. I don't know what product it's for, but I've seen it where it talks about, you know, you need their different sizes. And if, if it if it hurts to go in, go down a size or you know whatever. These are important things to talk about, but that's kind of exactly my point. Is the only way we got to that point with talking about feminine products is by just doing it, by talking about it and not hiding it and not acting ashamed of it. And that's what I think is the advice for infertility, and IVF and IUI and surrogacy and any of the procedures that need to be done is is just talking about it and not being afraid to talk about it and not being so worried about what someone else is going to think about it. Just talking about it is the way we normalize it. But there are some caveats to that. Yeah. One of the biggest ones is when you start talking about it openly, when we put up our GoFundMe and suddenly all our friends and family knew what was going on, you will suddenly find out that there are people who, oddly enough, fight against IVF for all the weirdest reasons, right? There's a, a section of society that believes IVF is as bad as abortion, which blows my mind because it's exactly the opposite of an abortion. Yeah, you want a baby. But, but, uh, but their thought process is that the eggs are being conceived outside of the body in, in a Petri dish, but they're being conceived and then Sometimes they're not being used. Sometimes they're being disposed of. Sometimes they're being donated to other people. Um, but they're not always being used by the parents, by the, the genetic parents. And, and they believe that that's wrong. And I don't understand it. I don't get it. Like, this is, a, I mean, this is about... You have no control over how many eggs you get. I mean... Yeah, very I mean, little control over that. Very little control over whether they're successful. Like you could harvest twenty-seven eggs, and none of them be successful, based and, on a variety of things. And Maybe. no offense, you want more than just a couple because in case it doesn't work the first or second time, mm -hmm. 
you've got a third shot yeah. or or even if it does work the first or second time and then you decide two years later you want another kid mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about oh we got through this again no you've already got some to try and so that's that's where we stand we've got uh, an amount of eggs frozen somewhere <laughs> just come to think of it that bill's gonna be due here soon it comes in July. Oh, was it July? I could have sworn it was February when it came in. Anyways, um, I'll just think when we had the when we had the procedure done. Yeah. Anyways, this neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> I just always get surprised by it. That's why I always think it comes early in the year. Um, but but so talk about it. But understand that there you will probably find some people who surprise you with their backwards views on it. But that's all the more reason to talk about it. So tell your friends. Tell your family. Post on Facebook about it. Post a GoFundMe uh, to to get a little bit of money to help you out on it. Um, But just do it and talk about it so people know what you're kind of going through. Because, like Luciana says, so many people don't understand what goes on with this. They don't understand how much work goes into IVF, right? Because, like, so many of them, well, we, I think, mentioned before, so many people just think it's a turkey baster method, which is... Oh, I thought. Which is effectively IUI, but it's still, even at that point, way more complex than turkey baster. Um, But that's the deal is IVF is way more complex um, it involves multiple, multiple trips to the, the hospital or to the clinic to do procedures, not just on the on the woman, but on the man that, you know, and and the men's procedures are so much easier and, and all that. I've talked about them before, but it's still it's multiple trips in to do things multiple times testing. Uh, Sarah had so much blood drawn. um so much and my wife is is a really tough stick and my veins like to roll yeah and so every time we'd go and we'd tell the nurses she's a tough stick and the nurses would always puff up their chest a bit and be like oh i'm really good at this and then and then after three or four pokes on my wife they one nurse would try it twice Mm -hmm. and then once if they couldn't do it then the next nurse would try it twice I think the most I ever got up to was five, mm-hmm. but usually two or three, and I eventually got it. But, uh, but and then the procedure, the the har- harvesting, I call it, um, of the eggs. <laughs> it's it's a it's, it's a procedure. It's not pleasant well, at you all. Get knocked out. So. You get knocked out, and uh, you're in pain afterwards. It's not pleasant. I remember my wife going through it. Um, And then even at that, she's doing that procedure. The husband's usually that same day doing his procedure, which is not really a procedure. I'm giving Uh, him the evil eye right now. (laughs) It's it's the easiest thing that a guy will ever have to do. It's awkward, but easy. Because my procedure made it feel like I was getting my period times a million and I couldn't move my stomach but in the end then you've got this uncomfortable weight while they combine the eggs and everything 
and then find out this is how many took. First, this is how many eggs we were able to retrieve. Then this is how many took. And then this is how many, you know, after a couple days, you'll get another update. This is how many have developed or how they've been developing. And then and then another update. And then finally, there will be this one where they'll say, we're going to schedule your procedure for this day. Um, that's if you had eggs take. Yeah. Sometimes people don't for a variety of reasons. Um, but if you get to that point, then you've got another procedure where you go in and they implant the egg and they there's a choice you know they'll sometimes say do you want to do one or do you want to do two i know at methodist uh dr delaney says they only like to do two maximum yeah that's all i think that is all they will do Mm -hmm. one or two i don't know if that's a delaney thing or a methodist thing um and if you're going through only what raised it like two or three percent chances like you you think oh it's gonna raise it like 30%. 30%. No, it was like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was under 5%. I, yeah. I mean, it was really small. It, it it raised it, but it didn't raise it much. But, you know, we said, let's, we did it. So, let's I mean, let's do two. Um, and so, and then you've got the, the two week wait, trying to wait to find out whether, whether it's successful. And, you know, you're walking on eggshells that entire time because even though the doctor tells you, you're not gonna hurt it by living your normal life. Um, they'll they'll say don't start doing strenuous exercise or stuff like this, but they they'll say don't walk on eggshells. That's not gonna stop you from walking on eggshells. Oh yeah, you one hundred percent will. Um, and then you'll finally do your test, and and if you're lucky, the first test comes out positive, so they'll schedule a second test to confirm. And if you're lucky, the second test will come out positive. And then they'll schedule a, a consultation where they'll come in and they'll do things like ultrasounds to see if they can. Like, and the stress spot begins. <laughs> and all the stress just keeps piling and piling. And just because you're now successfully pregnant does not mean the stress goes away because now it's about keeping it there. Because most people who get to this point have, have suffered at least one miscarriage. We were fortunate that we don't know that we suffered a miscarriage. We may have for six years of trying, six plus years of trying. There's a good chance at some point we might have had a miscarriage, but there's also a good chance that we never did because of our personal situation. We may have never actually gotten pregnant during that time. Anyways. But that's why I say the important thing to normalizing it is talking about it because people don't understand how much goes into it. It's just this nebulous thing that they only occasionally see rich Hollywood people do. And they don't understand how many people this affects in the world, how many people this affects in America, and how hard it is to go through and how it's not just this easy easy thing that there's procedure where you walk in they hand you a tur- turkey baster and and then you walk out pregnant oh. that's why it's important to talk about it. so that's the number one thing i think that yeah. can be done to help normalize this and that's just talking about it that's doing things like this podcast putting it out there and listening to it and and talking about it and sharing this podcast or other podcasts about infertility 
so that they other people listen to it even people who haven't gone through it listen to it and understand how hard this can be on on a couple right um there are a lot of couples whose relationships aren't strong enough to make it through these sorts of struggles yeah i mean i know i was reading statistics about how many couples end up breaking up because they just can't ever get pregnant and they just think oh Maybe it's just this person, so I need to just move Mm -hmm. on. And And that's why it's so important to talk about it and normalize it because those relationships break up mostly because the people don't understand what's going on. And it's so easy to blame one side or the other. So easy for the the husband to say, well, my wife's not giving me a baby, so I'm going to find a different woman. When the problem could be him. We've talked about the 30-30-30 problem, they call it. 30% of all infertility is caused exclusively by the woman. 30% of it's caused exclusively by the man. And 30% of it's caused by a combination of the two. And statistically, that means if you are having problems conceiving... There's a 60% chance that the man is somewhat responsible, at least partially. And a 60% chance that the woman is partially responsible. And to me, that sounds pretty even. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to is this is, this is not a her problem or a him problem. This is an us problem. And understanding if you're having a hard time getting pregnant, there's a good chance it's both of you or at least a combination of things that's what it came down with us i've mentioned it before sarah had her pcos there were a couple other things there i had low motility and a a low normal sperm count um which made it almost impossible there um it went undiagnosed through multiple doctor's appointments beforehand these are all things that it's important to understand is that it's not usually just one person it could be both of you Uh, but you got to talk about it and that's why i think it's so important that in the discussion of normalizing it we talk focus a lot on talking about it not suffering this by yourself but putting it out there so other people can hear and understand what's going through and learn about what's going through um I, I know that I have at least one relative that is currently going through similar problems um, in their marriage. And I don't know how open they are with people outside their immediate family. I don't even know if they know that I know about it. Um, I've heard about it through through a parent, through another parent, through the grapevine sort of a thing. Which is why I'm not mentioning their names, and I'm not outing them in any way. But um, if they're listening to this, I want them to know that they have my support. And if, if they're open about it with even just their family, that's an important thing. But the more open they can be, the better this is for everyone, because it helps not just them deal and cope with it but it helps everyone understand what's going on and how it's going yeah i definitely know for me uh when i let my uh 
best friend know who I worked with, uh, it was kind of just a relief because she was always kind of, you know, half joking. Oh, you're getting up there, Sarah. You're, you're in your mid to late 20s, you know. Come on, what's going on? And it wasn't until I kind of just sat her down and was like, okay, I get, I know you're joking. I know you're not taking, I mean, you mean absolutely no harm, but here's the situation. And after that, I mean, she was kind of like my guard dog when I say like, because where I used to work, it was like everyone and their grandma was getting pregnant except for me. And I was one of the few people that was, you know, in my mind was like, I want to get pregnant. I'm not saying they didn't, but I'm just meaning like, We've been trying for years. And so I guess it was a good thing that I had talked to her because she was, I mean, she kind of like, like when people would be talking about babies, like she just kind of knew how to like protect me. Like when they would start coming after me, she'd be like, oh, Sarah doesn't want to talk about that. Let's talk about, she would change the subject. She knew to kind of help me because she just kind of knew I would just start shutting down. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people, like I remember one of my friends, she said, well, people that, because this is the person I know, she had another friend that was having problems and she was like, that's all they want to talk about. And you don't want to invite them to any baby showers because they're negative. And I didn't want people to think that about me. I didn't want people to think, oh, well, we don't want to invite Sarah because, you know. So, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're battling this where you're like, you don't want to be that person that everyone's like, oh, well, you know. Well, besides that, I'm just saying, I think it's important, I mean, especially for me, Yes, Casey was the person that I would go home and just ball to and we would talk. But I'm saying I do think it's important to find someone that you're close to, be it someone at work or just, you know, someone that I say work because that's that's where, I mean, people spend the majority of their time. So, I mean, if you have a friend at work, you know, and you feel that they would be trustworthy. I mean, and my friend didn't tell anybody anything. I mean, no one knew until we had written the the GoFundMe page and then it was out there and even people went up to her and were like did you know did you know and she's like well yeah but she goes it's not my business and so but it is important um just to to talk to some friends you know let them in um even if, if you're not comfortable talking to your family then you know one way or another I said just letting someone in because they can be there for you and a support in a different way just like for me, it was a support at work where it was like, oh, well, you know, or if so-and-so was like, I'm pregnant, you know, they knew to kind of just give you a side hug because they knew personally that you were probably in your mind crying. Mm-hmm. And no one else knew, but it meant the world to me. So. So, so yeah, we've talked before along those lines about how it's important to have some people that know, even if you're not ready to let everyone know. Having some person like Sarah's friend was a great idea for Sarah to let her know and have her as as uh, an associate to help her out. But when talking about normalizing it, I think it goes beyond just even having a friend. It's about having everyone know. But you will understand, and this is the double-edged sword to talking about it openly, is... You'll understand that you have to be the expert on this when talking about it. Because everyone's going to not not know, but think they know what they're talking about. So you're going to have some people 
who try to put blame on you for your infertility problems. Say it's your fault because of this or that or this. So you have to be prepared and know, you know, what goes into it. And that's what we did a whole episode early on about statistics, but I repeat the biggest statistic. Approximately one in every eight couples in America is affected by infertility. That adds up to about 6.7 million people in America every year struggling to have a baby. So this is not, this is not a rare thing, really. I mean, that's about 6% of, of America total. Uh, that's, that's a big number there. And that's why it's important to, to understand that this is not just a you thing, not a problem that just you made. Now, yeah, there may be some situations where something that you did inadvertently, but those are usually tragic things um, and not a blame thing. So there's also the side that infertility is not just about us cis straight people like Sarah and I. It covers gay people, covers transgender, it covers lesbians, it covers all these people who are trying to have a baby and it's not a biological option for them to even have it through the air quotes normal means. And that's why it's important to continue to talk about these things like surrogacy, like IVF, like donor sperm, donor eggs, um, all of that. To normalize talking about it helps out those people as well. So that's those are kind of the major things that I think about when talking about it. But like I say, understanding that you will be judged, but you're going to be judged for not having a child you're gonna get those why aren't you having a kid questions if they don't know that you're struggling so might as well get rid of those and replace them with oh i didn't know well how how does that work now like i said you'll get some people who think that going through infertility treatment is horrible and those are the people that you have my permission to cut off communication with. Um, not that you needed my permission. That was more a joke. But but do understand that this will, that talking about it will <clears throat> open up some wounds that you didn't necessarily know were there amongst friends. But it will also tighten up bonds of friendship amongst other friends. I have friends that... I was friends with over years from high school on that once they found out about this, I became even tighter friends with. I have friends from work that once they found out about this became some of my best friends in the world. I do have some friends that I don't talk to as much anymore about it. But that's part of what it comes down to is to normalize this means accepting those risks and accepting all of that just like normalizing everything else whether it's gender identities whether it's 
sexuality, you know, those are all things that we have to normalize to move on in this world. So. No, I was just thinking, uh, uh, I used to go to therapy. I would still probably be going, but since we've moved, I haven't found anyone. But I remember um, the doctor there, uh, I needed a refill for, for, for something. And then, but I, some of it was, you know, just distress of uh, the fact that we had gone through IVF and just stresses of, you know, that. And I remember him saying, he said, you should go see this doctor. And I was like, okay, you know. And he's like, because some of the doctors, they don't really agree with IVF going through that. And I, I don't know why that really surprised me. Mm-hmm. And I, cause I guess I think as doctors, I think of that it's something you should do, but I guess, you know, he's just like, well, you know, because of religious things, they don't, I, I'm assuming that's what it's through. Um, cause I can't really imagine why any doctor would be against it. But I remember that really, uh, so that's another thing to look out. If you do go see a doctor for whatever reason, try to check and see if there's been any complaints along that realm because I never really thought of anything like that. But, I mean, people are, they can have their own opinion of things, but you just want to make sure you don't Mm -hmm. get in contact with those people. Well, that's why in the end, I always advocate towards getting, if you can, getting referred to, if you don't need to, a lot of times, especially if you're not going through insurance, you don't need a referral. Going to an uh, uh, RE, a reproductive endocrinologist, right? Those those are the people who specialize in this. That's the people at Methodist Women's Health, like Dr. Doherty, Dr. Delaney, and all the other ones there. Um, there's other ones here in Omaha that deal with it. There's ones all over. Um, but getting to a specialist is important um, because... They're going to be the ones that understand what's going on. But also being an advocate for yourself, even with your regular doctors, with your regular OBGYN, you know, just making sure to advocate for yourself and and talk about what's going on. The other way to help normalize it is joining communities. We've talked about, there's a couple Facebook groups that we're members of. One that's kind of local here to Omaha area, one that's about success stories, which is which is kind of nice to to be on, but there it can be a little triggering if you haven't had success. So, uh, I will say a lot of them they they usually say mm-hmm. in their post that there might be something it, triggering. I'm just mm-hmm. letting them know. Yes, but be being a member that creates a community helps you learn so much more about oh, yeah. this. To, um, to be honest, I wish I would have known about, I don't know why I never thought to look, but I read things now and I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I had known that four years ago or five years ago. Well, a lot of it is because we were in the hiding mode beforehand. And so yeah. we didn't want to go on Facebook and open ourselves up to all of this because we were hiding. Uh, but that's part of why I think the biggest thing is being open and being out there and talking about it. Um, if, if you're not comfortable yet being, ex, uh, extremely open about it, I understand you can create a blog under an assumed name, under a pseudonym, right? And talk about it. If you want to just write about it as a catharsis, 
you can participate with people like us in this podcast where you can tell your story of but if you don't want your name attached to it we're more than happy to leave your name off um you're just listening to the podcast even if you're not or a different podcast even if you're not ready to talk about it that's a way to normalize it in a bit um you can understand that you don't have to be 100% transparent about what's going on we're we're going above and beyond on this podcast by talking about exactly what's causing our infertility um and all that if you're not ready to talk about that keep it vague but talk about it you know um also be willing to know that if you're in the middle of a cycle or a treatment um you don't have to talk during those times right you can be quiet at those times people will will maybe get confused if you're not talking about it for a bit but take those times to yourself you know you don't have to be 100% transparent no you don't even have to be transparent when you get your positive. We've mentioned when when we had our uh, procedure, it was months, like six months before we finally actually let everyone know that it was successful. Oh, I don't think it was that long, but I definitely know I delayed it because everyone, coworkers, I mean, they were hounding me every day, mm-hmm. but I didn't, we didn't. I didn't let a shop for a baby for at least six, seven yeah. months. I mean, it was like, that's so. uh, taboo for me. But so th- That's kind of my thoughts on, on normalizing this. My biggest thing is just talking about it, talking about it with your friends, talking about it online, talking about it with other people who are going through it, but getting it out there and stopping hiding it in the shadows. But I'm going to put it out to you guys. Our listeners, who without you, this podcast wouldn't exist. What do you think can be done to help normalize IVF and infertility? What do you advise to other people to help them go through it? Right. You can always answer that question by messaging us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Infertility Bites. Uh, you can hop on. We have Twitter, Infertility Pod on Twitter. We have at Infertility Bites Podcast at gmail.com if you just want to send us an email. Any of those ways you can get in touch with us. Um, just let us know what you think, what, what you would do to help normalize talking about this. Because um, this is important. It is very important. It is important. very important, yes. Um but I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I always talk about how the show only really works when listeners submit their stories. This is a really good example. The entire concept of this episode is based on a listener submitted story. So Facebook, Twitter, email, those are great ways to submit your story. Up on our Facebook page, we have a link to the uh, Google Docs survey that you can answer to help us get answer all the questions help us get your story out there right if you're not ready to share your story but you are enjoying this show a review on whatever platform you listen to it is also great really helps other people find the show and if you're comfortable sharing this on your social media that would be very very much appreciated yes um but for now i think we're going to wrap up this show 
Um, again, Happy New Year to everyone out there. Yay! Hopefully it's a better year. <laughs> yeah, hopefully 2021 <laughs> is better than 2020 for most people. Although I do know at least a few of our listeners had had successful baby dust this last year in 2020. So even with all the bad stuff going yeah. on, they still had some things to be happy about. But I really hope that 2021, 2021 leads to babies. lots of new babies amongst our listeners. Exactly. Um, so may your dreams of tiny feet be answered soon. Sending baby dust your way. Thank yes. you all for listening. And as always, we're going to let our little scientific miracle send us off with love and kisses. Bye. I love you. Hello. Hello. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.